0: Hello and welcome to You Just Got Homeschooled. I am RJ and today I want to talk about the lo- the road less traveled or why it might be better to take the road less traveled. Um, if you're, I, well first off let me start with this. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, if you're in the States we had Thanksgiving this last week and um, I enjoyed mine. I hope you enjoyed yours. If you're not then know that we have a holiday called Thanksgiving where we stuff way too much food into our faces and Um, normally spend that time with family and friends and just hopefully give thanks um, for the blessings that we have. So back to today's episode, I want to talk about The Road Less Traveled and uh, that draws from a poem by Robert Frost. So I want to take a second and read that to you real quick and then I'll link back to it um, later on when we're talking about the actual context of this. So Here goes. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood and I sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as far as though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubt if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. So... I was thinking about this because I was thinking about the paths we all choose in life and the paths as a parent that we are hopefully informing and shaping and advising and cultivating for our kids to travel on especially as homeschool parents because we are we are taking on that huge responsibility that ha- so many abdicate or you know, uh, abdicate to the state basically and allow them to take on we're hopefully helping them uh, learn the skills to travel the road of life well. And um, the world we're moving into is, like I've said in previous episodes, very different than the one we're coming from. So um, I don't know about you, but I order stuff from Amazon relatively frequently. Uh, in fact, I think we have on subscribe and save things like toilet paper and baby wipes because I got three kids in diapers. And so, um, and so they just come at a standard time. Every month, pretty much, and it's really I really appreciate it, but I remember not so long ago when I was in college, Amazon was brand new, and they really only sold books. in fact, I remember um, going back and forth between amazon and half dot com to buy a lot of my college textbooks and amazon i didn 't like as much because they tended to be pricier now, yeah, the books were new, but you know, I didn't have a lot of money and I didn't want to spend a lot of money. So I would oftentimes buy the books on half instead because they were cheaper. And eBay wasn't as reliable because you never knew what you were going to get. So as far as like timing and, and availability and that kind of stuff. So, but Amazon has grown and I don't know if you're aware of this, but Jeff Bezos is the founder and owner of Amazon, or at least the, the, the larger share of Amazon. And he it um, goes back and forth with Bill Gates as being the wealthiest person in the world, I believe. And yet I want you to think about that. This guy started, I think in his apartment, selling used books. And it wasn't that long ago. Like when he was selling used books in his, you know, from his apartment was when I was in late high school, early college. right? So that was still 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But look at how the world has changed in that amount of time. And um, society tells us that we should choose a safe route. And they define the safe route, much like Robert Frost does in his poem, as the well-traveled path, right? You go to school and you graduate from elementary and go to junior high, from junior high to high school, from high school to college. You get out of high school, you find a job and you sit there. Right? And you spend maybe 20 30, 40 years in that job and you earn a retirement and you save and you get a pension hopefully and you have good benefits. And at the end of that time, you're able to retire on what you've saved, any pension that you receive and your social security and stuff like that. And that worked. And it worked well for a while, but that has ceased to work in our society. And yet our entire education and academic system is pretty much set up in the same way. Um, I was thinking about this personally when I um, was trying to make decisions. So initially when I started to, you know, did my undergrad and I got married and I had my first kid and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do um, really for a career. And I was working as a tutor, and that was fun, and I enjoyed that for the most part. But, and, I, and I wanted to go into teaching, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to teach like, elementary school kids or high school kids or do like, post-secondary, so like, college stuff. And initially what had happened was is I, uh, I I, had done some education work in my undergrad, and I had learned there that I did not want to teach second grade. I had spent way too many hours in a second grade classroom and I just couldn't handle it, not because I didn't like individual second graders or even small numbers of them, but the thought of planning and supervising a bunch of kids asking to go to the bathroom over and over and over again, just drew, drove me insane. So um, I was trying to decide and, and my, my choices, at least in my head at the time, were go and get a teaching credential so I could teach at the, the high school level, history, or go back to school also and go and get a master's degree in history so that I could teach at the college level. Um, I didn't get my application in on time for a history master's. And so my wife was like, well, you should do the teaching, you know, the the teacher's, teacher credentialing and master's. So I did that instead. And that's how I ended up teaching in high school. And then I did that. I got my credential. I went and worked for, you know, worked for two, three years. And then I was at a position again, okay, do I want to continue to pursue this? Or do I want to go somewhere else? There didn't seem to be any jobs um, or any good ones. And I was thinking, okay, well, maybe I'll go back to school and see if I can do something else. So I started to play around with that. Again, I went back to history. Maybe I should go teach at a history, you know, teach history at the college level. So I uh, started an application for an online program there. And and then I also then decided, well, maybe not that. Maybe I want to go and do something else. And so what I, had, I had had a friend who had attended um, Biola and uh, University, and he had suggested maybe I should look into the philosophy master's program at their seminary. And so I went and did that. As, I went and did that. We ended up um, finding a job nearish by the school um, where I was teaching history, actually, in computers. And I went and started a philosophy program at a seminary intending with, or with the intent of uh, getting a, a master's degree in philosophy and maybe even a doctorate, or a, there's a one in between called a thumb, or it's a THM. Um, and that way I could teach at a higher, you know, basically at a college level. And in the process of that, the requirements for that course was kind of like a, they called it spiritual formation. It's a Christian university, Christian seminary, so it makes sense that they'd have some sort of spiritual formation program. And in that process, we had to sort out what do we feel called to. And in that process, I realized that although I do, I would like to teach at a higher level, possibly at some point. I was actually really happy teaching at the high school level, and so um, and then I had more kids. Uh, there wasn't any more money; I didn't want to borrow anymore, so I had to stop that program. But that road is not a straight one. Um, the first teaching job I got, I started for two years, and then they decided they were going to shift the way their program operated, and they cut my job. Then I taught uh, kind of as a, in a holding pattern for a year, teaching sixth grade, and uh, I couldn't stay at that job longer for, even if I wanted to because I didn't have the right credential. And so then I, I ended up on this This path was, which was not the one that I intended, you know, my first job, honestly, I would have been content there to probably like, at least I felt like I would be content there for the next 30 years. I could just sit there. I could do the same, teach the same stuff over and over again, because I loved the material. I loved the conversations I had with the kids. I loved the whole thing. And it just got pulled out from underneath me and caused kind of a crisis, to be honest. And so, um, We have to be attentive to that as parents who are homeschooling our kids, right? The world that they're moving into is different. And the reason I bring up Bezos is is this. I don't know what his life goals were. I don't know a whole lot about him. But what I do know is that he took something that is very, very old, right? Books. Books did not become, or I should say, at the time that he started, right, making this, this business, he built it on something that was really old technology. The West had had a printing press for for around five hundred years. At this point, book buyers and sellers were all over the place. Right, bookstores were commonplace, but he took an old item, right, used books and transformed an entire industry, and not just one industry, a bunch of industries. I mean, it could be argued that something like Amazon put a good number of bookstores, both independent and chain bookstores, out of business, simply by changing its platform. Right? All he did was take that same thing, instead of having to have a storefront and sales representatives... He could have a warehouse with stacks of books and as long as a, you know, they're categorized well and there's a rating system for quality, he might be able to sell them and sell them cheaper because he could buy them by the pallet and sell them off piece by piece, right? And his overhead is way lower because instead of hiring sales you know, representatives to be there you know, 16 hours a day, he could hire one person to be there eight hours a day to pull orders, and as long as they're all done right, right, the organization's done right, he can do that well. And there's some intentionality between used books or like why he chose used books. And I haven't researched that deeply, but it's something that everyone does, right? We all read, or at least hopefully we all read. And it's something that has a low purchase value if you're buying them in bulk, but you you know, if I'm buying an entire pallet of books, I might pay a hundred bucks for the pallet, but there's 300 books in there, you know, from estate sales or garage sales, stuff that there's a conglomeration of books and I can sell them off piece by piece. And if only if I sell them, you know, if I sell them for a buck each, I'm still making money. And that's the world our kids live in. These technologies have changed the way we live for better or for worse. They have. And because they're so disruptive in the way in which they operate, they change the playing field for us and for our kids. And so I'm always hesitant to say, well, just keep teaching the same thing. right? Let's just keep teaching the same way. Because the world isn't the same way. Now, this does not mean that I think that the, the classics are, are no longer valuable, because in fact, I think the answer is in the classics. The answer for a Ever changing game is not to try to learn the rules of every game as you go. The answer is not to just jump on every newfangled technology or newfangled means of getting to the goal. In fact, I think the answer is to teach the skills required to assess a situation and, do, and make the best course of action, right? What we're trying to do, hopefully, is homeschool parents is to educate and support and encourage and shape our kid. So when they stand where those two roads diverge in a wood, they can look at the merits of each path and make a decision. What value is there in the well-worn path? What value is there in this other path? Because you notice there's two, there's two roads, right? One of them is well-worn. The other one is still there. It's just not well-worn. And so I think we need to be just intentional that what we're trying to do is looking, looking to the past to say, what have people already done? What skills have proven valuable over hundreds or thousands of years? Rather than what is someone, some talking head, saying is valuable today? Right, including me. I mean, I, I'm I'm not uh beyond making mistakes. But I'm hoping that by looking back, I'm actually limiting the opportunity to have mistakes by saying, you know what, this is valuable. Like curiosity, I think, is always valuable. But also the skill sets to to learn new things. Reading, writing, arithmetic, history. You can't do anything effectively if you don't really know who you are, right? Not because who you are determines the outside world, but you have to know what you're capable of before you even approach something, right? It's probably not a good idea to be blind and trying to play baseball or hockey. Not because you're not capable of of swinging a bat physically, but it's gonna be really hard to pick out a ball and hit it if you can't see it. Similarly, I'm not gonna be a basketball player. I just don't have the skill set. And I'm not willing to put in forth the effort. And so we have to be able to know ourselves well enough, know what our strengths are and our weaknesses are, know how to work around those things. And really our job as, as parents, as teachers, is to help them in that. Or help them to discover and say, you know what, it's okay if you're not great at X. You're really good at Y. No, we need to support X. We need to learn how to operate in X because there's, there's parts of life that you can't just get around. But... That's learning to deal with a deficiency, in a sense, learning to, to support yourself, which is also a skill in and of itself, right? When or showing them, teaching them how to be an advocate for themselves, how to support themselves um, in areas so that they can then hobble along, even if they can't win in that particular area or be the best in that particular area, the fact that they can make progress consistently is valuable. Meanwhile, playing to their strengths. Because we all have them. And if we live in a world that just pretends that everyone is equitable in every area, you're lying to yourself. That's just not how the reality works. Some of us are great athletes. If you're Michael Phelps, your fingertip to fingertip wingspan is like eight inches longer than you are tall. That's not normal. But it makes you a great swimmer. Right? We're not all born with Usain Bolt's strength, leg strength, so he can sprint and be the fastest person who's ever lived feasibly, right? We can't all be Einstein or Oppenheimer or Bach or Newton, right? We can't do those things all by ourselves, but that doesn't mean that there's not value in what we, what we are good at. And I think that sometimes we look and we value things that aren't really as valuable as we think they are. Yeah, it's great to be fast or smart, it's also great to be compassionate, kind, loving, an excellent mother, an exceptional father, a great friend. That's how the world moves forward. Usain Bolt has never done anything positive in my life. Not because he's not, I don't know him, but I know that he his existence hasn't impacted my life. But I have some really good friends who have, in a way they don't even know. And so, I think it's important for us to just, one, keep our eye on the goal, and the goal is a kind of person, not a job or a career. And you can't cultivate the kind of person by focusing on um, an end goal of being able to do all of your math facts up to the 15, you know all of your, your timetables up to the 15th, perfectly every single time. For a kid who's like, I don't understand that, but I can see a bird outside of my window and paint him from memory perfectly, right? Um, I'll take the painting. I had a, a best, or not a best friend, but I had a, a pretty good friend who lived down the street from me growing up. And um, I think when we were kids, when we were little, his dad um, did, Have you ever seen that, that spray like grass seed stuff. It it comes in like it's like liquefied grass seeds or grass seeds suspended in some sort of liquid, um, and they spray it out of a hose. That's what his dad did. But his mom was a painter, and like a like a almost like a muralist. And I remember because I just go over there because they had a, dra- a dra- one of those big trampolines in the backyard. So I go up there over there and jump on the trampoline and play video games and stuff like that with him. And I remember their shift because at one point his mom got a major contract with, I think, with, with Nordstrom's for uh, paintings. And so his dad was able to leave his job and start just framing her paintings. Honestly, what I remember most about her was the fact that every Wednesday night when she would pick us up from church, our like Wednesday night program, we would drive by Thrifties. We stopped there and she'd get me ice cream. Me and her son. Every night, every Wednesday night, all year long. That's to remember most about her. But she's an artist who there's famous, famous people, important people who paid thousands of dollars for her paintings. I'm pretty sure she didn't learn that in school. Now, that's not to say that you can't, it's not to say that you shouldn't, or that she was deficient in any of the other parts because. For all I can remember, she was excellent, but I know she was a great mom. I know she was a great artist. And so I think we just need to be, we need to make sure we keep the major things major, right? We want the right kind of person. We want to cultivate the right kind of person. We want to teach and enable that person, our kid, hopefully, or the kids that we're around and say, how can we help you do what you do to take the path that's best for you? Right? I, I honestly lament the fact that the schools in my area decided to opt for a everyone should go to college model instead of allowing auto shop and wood shop and metal shop. Because in my area, there's a lot of kids that aren't going to make it to college or aren't going to make it in college. Not because they're stupid, but because that's not where their passions lie. Their parents are first-generation immigrants who work the fields. They are, um, their parents are, they work regular jobs. They work at Walmart, right? And so these kids don't have the background, but they could become a mechanic, right? They could um, own a small business. There's lots of things they could do that they're just not exposed to because everyone's go to college, go to college, go to college. And I've seen this time and time again in the classroom, where I see kids who um, have been told one thing their entire life, and it rubs against their passions. It rubs against their giftings. Um, I think I've mentioned this before. My brother, one of my brothers, um, is a gifted gifted designer, in the sense that he can build things, design and build things, um, structural things like for physics, right, that are excellent. And yet, he struggled in school. He couldn't do the math in physics class, but his grade was always good because he was able to produce even when he couldn't do the math. What do you do with people like that? And why does our system, it's rigged against them? So we need to, as parents, as teachers, focus on what is that child, who, who are they? What are they good at? What are they bad at? And how do we cultivate the right kind of person with the right kind of skill set to go into a, a a world where a single technology can dramatically alter the playing field tomorrow. Tomorrow. Not like 10 years down the road, foreseeable future. They could launch something tomorrow. That's what happened with Facebook, Instagram, right? YouTube. Um, in the last five years, they discovered CRISPR, which is a, a protein that allows you to genetically engineer things. You can just cut DNA you can get wherever you want to functionally, right? And you can buy it online. Those technologies are incredibly disruptive. And people who may have done years, decades even of research and schooling and stuff like that may be completely thrown off in a second. And yet, what are they going to fall back on? Hopefully, they've been taught the skills required to pivot, to change directions, to move, and to be able to exploit opportunities um, in, a, in a positive sense, right? Whether those opportunities are um, opportunity to launch a business, to follow a passion, um, to engage in a, in a beneficial community, right? To get involved in a – in my area, there's like a writer's club that meets relatively frequently, you know, maybe that's, they love to write. And maybe that's not, what they're, that's not what they're paying their bills with. But maybe the opportunity to say, oh, there's a writer's club, I should join that. And then have some friends and some input. And then they can cultivate that writing ability, even if it's just for their own satisfaction, right? Because we all at some point have to live and work in what seem like pointless jobs. Get the bills have to get paid, right? That's how life works. And so, but we can, we can facilitate and we can teach our kids how to be whole people, or more whole people, um, and teach them how to interact with the world in a way that is beneficial to them and to the world. And if we're focused on the end goal of a particular academic outcome, I don't know that's gonna happen the same way because we're not facilitating or not teaching them the skills they need. So I would just, I hope this is encouragement to you to go and, and consider education in a more holistic, Mindset. It is not a particular goal that you're looking for. In fact, I had a conversation earlier today with a friend of mine um, who does the same thing I do, basically, um, similar line of work, different people she works with. uh, But she has a meeting um, coming up shortly where this particular family wants to, to push a first grader into second grade in a homeschool environment. And and in both of our questions is kind of like, why? What benefit is there in a homeschool environment where, where basically you can move as fast as you want to or need to? What benefit is there in taking a first grader and making them a second grader now? It won't do anything in the long run, especially in our environment, because our environment is one where you can move as fast as you want. You can have a second grader doing eighth grade math, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right? And so we were just kind of sitting there talking back and forth because I'm like, why would you do that? Because then they could start high school classes in junior high and then start college classes in high school and then they can graduate from high school with an AA or even more if they get a, you know, a far enough head start. But I think that we are often trapped in the same academic structure that we were given or we were exposed to. Um, and I'm sure it's that way across the world that there's like, well, I know what I did and that's the way it's supposed to be done, but why? Think about this. A lot of the early founding fathers of the United States and a lot of other places, you would see a, a, you know, gifted students who actually got to go to college start college at 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it could be argued that they're better speakers, more well-read, more well-rounded than many of the people we have leading our world today. And yet we trap ourselves in a mindset of what grade are you in? What does that mean you ought to be learning? What kind of skills, uh, academic skills have you mastered? Rather than to say, what do you know about yourself and the world? How do you choose to interact with that world? What skills do you have as you go forward? Do you know how you learn best and how to access that and how to facilitate you and how to support yourself in your weaknesses and how to let yourself go in your strengths, right? So you can move as fast as possible or as fast as you want to. Do you know how to control the anxiety, the fear? Do you know how to study well for things that you have to just, you know, meet a bar? Do you know how to decipher what's good and what's not good for you? Not in in like a moral metaphysical sense, but like in a you know, it's okay for me to have one piece of chocolate cake, but it's not okay for me to have three. Or I need to be realistic that I can take this test right now and probably do do okay. Or if I wait another day and soak in the information a little bit more, I can take it tomorrow or the next day and get a much higher score. Right? Those things are all valuable. So hopefully you found this encouraging. Please like, subscribe, share with a friend. Um, Know that we are working on the website. I'm sorry that it took so long. Thanksgiving week and family and all that kind of stuff. I made tons of pies and that kind of lot, that kind of stuff. Um, always kind of gets in the way of getting these done. Um, but just be aware that that's like that's what we're shooting for. Is kids who can adapt to a future that's really unknowable and. We need to be the ones that facilitate that and we don't have to be bound by the system that it currently exists ha- as it's existed. Let's choose when we can to take the, the road less traveled rather than the the road more traveled because the, everyone's on that road, which means there's only so many spots that can be filled. So yeah, like I said, please like, subscribe, share with a friend. Um, I, I will get another one out as soon as I can. Um, Please enjoy your day.